0: Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is uh, Gnani Dattatreya. I work for Capital One, and uh, Capital One also has a booth in the conference expo. Please stop by to find out what are the awesome things that we work in uh, Capital One. It's a pleasure for us sharing our experience in uh, containers uh, operations management and automation with you today. And uh, here is uh, my colleague, Satya.
1: Hi, thanks everyone. My name is Satyash Shanmughar Sundaram. I'm also an Enterprise Architect at Capital One. Uh, This is what we are going to expect from the session today. We are going to review how Capital One embraced microservices and Docker, and how ECS has simplified our journey, and how our container stack evolution happened. Um, Starting with classic ELB and with the availability of uh, application load balancers, uh, the infrastructure stack evolved quite a bit. To solve specific problems, so we will review our different uh, infrastructure configurations. Then we will look at uh, different operations, like how we create the infrastructure stack and manage it, uh, doing AMA updates, different deployment model models like blue-green and deployment op- and Canary deployment automations. Then we will review some of the lessons we have learned by the adoption of ECS and Docker, and what are we going to look forward to. It.
0: All right. So it's an exciting time for us in the Capital One Technology Organization. We are utilizing uh, cloud-first, open source, and uh, microservices architecture principles uh, in building world-class digital products. Speaking of microservices, there are two aspects to this. One side of the coin is the domain aspect of it, where our uh, Domain experts work on the scope, size, API, and ontology of our microservices. On the other side of the microservices coin is the DevOps side of the things, where we focus on independent runtime for our microservices, independent deployment, and scalability. And This is where we use Docker to run our microservices as containers in AWS Cloud. So, in embracing microservices architecture for running our apps in AWS cloud, we embraced Docker and ECS, Amazon's EC2 container service. And our journey evolved over a period of last 18 months in using these two solutions, using these two products. Right? And ours chapter one is a. Federated operating model. It's a large enterprise and ours is a federated operating model. And what it implies is uh, each team uh, builds and owns their uh, application. So, you build, you want, uh, there is no central team where all of the enterprise goes and deploys their apps as containers. Each application team has the autonomy and they have the, so that they, they can deliver at their own speed independent of other teams uh, in running their apps. So running Docker containers by itself uh, is not very helpful for delivering microservices for large enterprises. It is the DevOps pipeline along with the container management solution with the enterprise capabilities and uh, operational aspects with production-ordered things. That is what makes the microservices click for the large enterprise like ours. And so we have tens and hundreds of teams and all of them have their individual stacks to run their microservices, which means there will be uh, tens and hundreds of creative solutions if all of them start writing their own infrastructure code to uh, to create their stack in the cloud. So we created a set of self-service automation tools to provide that reliability and scalability for our application teams to run their microservices. So as an application owner, I am focusing only on my application development and not write a single line of infrastructure code to run my Docker apps as microservices in the cloud. So rather, as an application owner, I would have my app, build the Docker image, and then provide a set of properties file, and you provide that to self-service automation tools, which will create the stack and run your services in cloud. And we have these tools covering different operational aspects of it, which we will do a deeper dive today. Right? So, uh, in we started Docker Journey like way before ECS was available to use in uh, private VPCs. So we had open source solutions for container management solution. And uh, since then, uh, we know, we understand it is not trivial to run uh, container management solution uh, with number of components uh, that are required to provide dynamic uh, service discovery, load balancing, uh, operational aspects of it. So we started embracing ECS. And today, ECS is the most adopted container management solution in the company. Right? Uh, so, we run different types of applications. So, from the business side, it's the credit card servicing application, auto loan servicing application, enterprise applications. All of them take advantage of uh, Amazon's ECS and Docker solution. We run different types of uh, architecture applications. So we have run microservices, event driven applications, batch applications, real time APIs, and all of them use uh, ECS based solution. And uh, ECS significantly simplified our container solution, which we will see in the course of this presentation. Right? One of the things that is very exciting for us uh, uh, for u- using, using ECS compared to open source solution like Mesos, which we used in the beginning, is... ECS deeper integration with AWS native services. like We take advantage of our IAM roles, the auto-scaling, the CloudWatch metrics, and how we monitor all of the AWS deeper integration with ECS. We take advantage of them. So With ECS and our automation tooling, we have significantly reduced the time required for the application teams to Run their apps in uh, AWS Cloud with fully hardened production, production-ready container stack. So, uh, moving on, I talked a little bit about the container management solution that is required to run your containers, not just running containers, but what are all the other things that goes with it, right? So this is the end-to-end pipeline view of our uh, DevOps pipeline for our microser- for delivering microservices. And uh, here, I want to talk a little bit about each component in this uh, pipeline. And our goal is build an operationally simple solution for each of the components. We don't uh, focus too much on what tool sets we use because tools will change, and uh, we want to build each component in the pipeline with an operationally simple uh, solution and then we want to integrate all this with the apis and uh, tomorrow there will be a better tool that solves for the same uh, component capability, then we will have to swap that one out and We did this uh, quite uh, swap out some of the tools what you see here right so uh, this is developers on one side, on the on the other side is your end users or your app consumers. And we have, we have uh, source control management, and we use GitHub Enterprise, and we use, for build, we use Jenkins. We have two types of repos. One is the code binary repo, and the other one is the Docker image repo. We use Nexus, and we use Docker registry. Right? And this is the runtime piece of your... Uh, container container management solution. This is where your microservices run as containers. And what are the what are the components or the capabilities? Right. We need a compute cluster. We need a cluster manager. We need a container scheduler. Right. And those are the components. And what are the solutions we use? EC2 instance for the compute cluster. And for cluster manager and scheduler, we use ECS. Right. And service discovery and dynamic service discovery and load balancing. And uh, before application load balancer was released, we ran our open source based solution for dynamic service discovery and load balancer. Right? So, uh, dynamic service discovery, we used a console, and for load balancing, we used Nginx. And on the later version of our stack, which you we will, we will see, uh, we use App ELB to provide the same functionality, which is uh, dynamic service discovery and load balancer. Right? And we have uh, the ELB, and That is fronted by API gateway, and this is our clients access their apps. So the pipeline view, the the DevOps pipeline, how it works. Our developers check the code into source control, and the tech lead commits the code and accepts it. It triggers the build, and the build would be like you know compiling the code. If it's the Java based, the application pushes the code to our uh, binary repo and the Jenkins uh, server also builds the Docker image, pushes it to Docker registry, and makes an API call to our cluster manager, and that will deploy our service uh, in this container management solution. And depending upon what stack we use, uh, you know, the c- containers that run gets registered into the service discovery solution, and it will be available for use via the ELB endpoint to our uh, API gateway. And the API gateway handles all the gateway-specific capabilities. So, this is the entry and the pipeline view. The operations tools and the automation operations automation tools, which we will go into a deeper dive today, is these dotted parts. So, all these pieces are like enterprise standard things. Each application team doesn't have to run or own those things. It's a standard enterprise shared services. This is what each application teams create to run their, the runtime for the microservices. They provide Uh, The input to our automation tools, our automation tools stand up and run them, right? So which we'll see them. So moving on to container stack evaluation.
1: Looking at container stack evaluation, this is about creating our infrastructure stack. The infrastructure stack highly depends on how we load balance Docker containers. So one of the significant problem statements in running Docker containers in production in a very high Availability mode is how do you do service discovery? How do you do load balancing? We are all know we all know that Docker containers are launched at high ports, something like 32,000, and they can come and go. You cannot count on Docker containers running forever. So, some of sometimes they come very ephemerally, like few minutes. You can launch and do something. So, how do you load balance these things? How do you discover these things? How do you register these things? This significantly depends in, depends on what tools we use and what the tool provides, and what are those missing pieces, we got to glue it together. So we will go through from classic ELB all the way up to application load balancer, which was just released in August. In the solution number one, when we started, we had ECS and classic load balancer. This is a very simple stack. Uh, when you launch a Docker container, it will uh, launch it into your compute nodes. The ECS agent will register the instances to the classic ELB. And uh, stack is very simple, and uh, if you want mutual SSL authentication, you can decide to do TCP load balancing, and your containers can do the certificate verification and all that stuff. We will go deep dive into the solution after we review all the available solutions. Okay, what if you want to do uh, more density packing, and also we want mutual SSL authentication? Density packing means now you want to be able to maximize your compute cluster. If you have a M4 large instance, you want to take advantage of all the CPU and memory. In this, we use ECS with classic load balancer with console and registrator doing the uh, service registration part and NGINX along with the console template doing the load balancing part, and this provides you high-density packing. Then, in August, uh, during the New York Summit, AWS made general availability of application load balancers, which provide the service registration and discovery part. So in the solution number two, we don't need those uh, on the right side. Uh, so b- this provides a simple stack. It's a high-density packing, but we do not have support for mutual SSL, so which we'll go through why. This is the first solution ECS and classic load balancer. So in this the key thing to notice: you need to have a fixed uh, uh, port configuration mapped for the Docker container to uh, host port. Let's say you are running Apache and you are running it on port 8080. You need to have port 8080 or any other port uh, mapped to the host. What that means is you can only run one container of each service in the same EC2 instance. So that kind of limits you. If you have a three-node cluster, you can run the service only in three... Only three containers you can launch because of the fixed host port. So that doesn't mean that this limits you to a large extent. Say if you have a large compute cluster, you have a large number of services, and uh, if you can manage the port configuration yourself and uh, count on ECS to manage all of that and you need mutual SSL uh, done at the container level, this will still work great. So this is still used by some teams for the simplicity of the stack. Now let's look at, I want density packing. I want a couple of services running in 10 servers. I want, say, 200 tasks to be run, and I want, uh, you know, complete service discovery management. So in this case, what happens is, we run a highly available console cluster, looking at here. This three-node console cluster interacts with this uh, compute cluster. We have console agents deployed in the compute cluster we have a component called Registrator, which is an open source software, which listens to these events of Docker containers launching. Doesn't matter what port Docker container gets launched. So that gets registered into the console central agent through to the console servers. Everybody pulls the console servers through something called console template. And the console template is like a event driven. Every time the console server reports a change, it updates the Nginx templates. It almost updates real time. And the NGINX templates reloads uh, the most recent update to the load balancing endpoints. And the classic load balancer still routes the TCP load balancing to the NGINX layer. So you have one NGINX process running in each of these EC2 instances. And the NGINX will route it to any of these instances. There's no guarantee that this NGINX will only route to this because there's enough, there's no affinity here. We tested that it is less than one millisecond latency, even if you were to go to a different instance. In this case, this is this is an auto-scaling group with highly available configuration. This is an auto-scaling group. This solves the high-density packing issue, so you can run hundreds or thousands of containers, and this console cluster will manage it. And uh, you can still do mutual SSL authentication. You can do TCP load balancing here, and Nginx can do mutual SSL and certificate verification and can still pass those details to uh, the containers. The containers can further authenticate the Nginx as the source and do any other uh, um, header validation like the name of the original certificate that was passed. So this provides you, in spite of the complexity, uh, this has been still very popular within our solutions because it solves most of the service discovery problems and it still supports (laughs) mutual SSL authentication. Then came application load balancer. Suddenly, the stack is significantly simplified. There is no console or NGINX processes to manage. Now, if you look at here, if you're not familiar with uh, uh, application load balancer, it is uh, like classic ELB, like entry point, but you cannot load balance TCP here. You can only load balance HTTP or HTTP and that uses something called a target group. For all practical purposes, target groups are like your load balancer, the target groups works with the ECS agents in each of these ECS instances, and the ECS agent, as soon as the uh, services come and go, they register with the target group, and the target group gets load balanced by your load balancer using the context paths. So you can run multiple containers, multiple services, any number of containers uh, in this simplified stack, and the one of the key limitations is you can only do a HTTP or a HTTPS load balancing here, so that means you, once you terminate the SSL, your originating client certificate information cannot be passed back to the uh, containers. So uh, so we, you have to rely on perimeter security like security groups, network access control list to manage the security. So, But this provides a significantly simplified stack for uh, the specific problems we are interested in.
0: All right. So you saw different, three different types of stacks here, right? So for the operations of automation, what do you want to do, right? So for us, uh, operations automation is the force multiplier. And like I said uh, earlier, our application teams, we want uh, us to focus on the application development and not each of the application team run or the right infrastructure coding for running the microservice uh, stack. Right. So we created uh, the self-service automation tools that does four things, or like it does, uh, does fall under four categories. One is the tools for stack creation and the tools for deploying your microservices so using a different release strategies, blue, green, or canary. And we have tools for army updates. Right. So we manage our own armies and we want to rehydrate our stack with the latest armies and the tools for that. And we have tools for scaling and monitoring. So these are the four buckets of tools that we develop. Right. And how our users use these tools. Our users. Prepare a property file describing where they want to run their application. It basically contains information like what is the uh, AWS account, and what is the uh, subnets, availability zones, etc. Uh, to create their stack. And provide that tooling to either a Jenkins job or to a Lambda function. And this Lambda function or Jenkins job will create the stack for them. Right? And likewise, we have tools for uh, Blue Green. And canary deployment. These are all like lambda functions, and our folks uh, pr- uh, trigger these lambda functions by dropping a property, a parameter file, to a bucket, and this will uh, provide them those tools. And the army update automation tool. Likewise, uh, they say this is my older army that is using my stack. This is the newer army, and we have the tools that rehydrates the stack with the latest army, and there is no user uh, disruption, end user disruption. It copies over all the services from old clusters to a new cluster. Um, that is another tool. And we have tools for health checks at the container level, at the instance level, and at the auto-scaling group level, and at the cluster level. Right? And uh, we have inter- integration of our stack with the enterprise logging system. We use Splunk, and as part of the tooling, we have the Splunk agents that is bootstrapped and connects to the Splunk server and all that good stuff. Right? And uh, we also have built a Uh, test apparatus, uh, which is a standalone machine where we have uh, JMeter, InfluxDB, and Grifana and a number of uh, JMX uh, templates. So the two-foot application teams, when they stand up this uh, stack and they deploy their services, they also have this test apparatus launching tests on their services for different types of uh, uh, JMX uh, uh, plans. Like, you know, you may have like a constant throughput or you may have uh, uh, step-up throughputs, whatnot. They have that tooling also in their hands. So, And uh, let's go over these four categories of our automation tools and have a little uh, deeper dive into these tools.
1: In this section, we cover the infrastructure creation automation. Why do we have to create the uh, infrastructure consistently? As Nadi said, uh, we have several agents, uh, the company-specific security agents, SSC agents, monitoring agents, um, some file system standards, all that stuff we have to create in a consistent manner, writing each developer having its own CloudFormation template or Terraform is going to create a sprawl of these templates. So this is how our infrastructure stack creation uh, process looks like. So as an application owner, the developers are expected to prepare a property file So all they have to know about is which VPC. They are already in an account, LOB-specific account. They have VPCs, subnets, security groups, what instance size you need, what is your auto-scaling group size, if you are using your auto-scaling policy, what are your metrics for CPU, memory, disk, all that stuff, and provide some SNS topics for critical alerts, normal alerts, all that stuff. Then they create these parameter files, And each LOB is designated with a specific S3 bucket, and that triggers the Lambda function. The Lambda function executes a Terraform template, and the Terraform template creates the infrastructure. It takes about three minutes once you drop the bucket for the ECS agent to register into the server and ready to launch containers. So... Why we choose Terraform? Um, that is, uh, you can go both ways against CloudFormation template. We have some modularity and, and more readability, and developers can also do quick desktop testing and all that stuff, so we prefer Terraform. So we ran Terraform originally in the Jenkins uh, with the Lambdas, with VPC support and all that stuff. We started running Terraform within Lambda. It still finishes within five minutes, so we haven't hit that limit yet. So this is how a typical parameter file looks like. My instance type is M3 medium. These are my subnet 1, 2. You can provide any number of comma-separated subnets. My comma-separated security groups, my ASG min is 3, max 9, and all that stuff related to the compute cluster. Then my ECS cluster. This is my name. It will create an ECS cluster. This is my IAM role for my cluster because it needs to access S3 buckets and whatnot. Uh, This is our internal Docker registry URL and uh, we have a proxy server, so we need to have that. Then this one section covers all the alarms and scaling policies. So all the scaling policies, say, if your CPU is more than 80 and uh, scale out, this is more reservation policies for ECS. We also have utilization policies. So it's all abstracted into parameter files. The templates create those CloudWatch alarms and uh, manage the easiest, work with the easiest clusters for the scaling policies. Then some teams may want to have a custom script because they have a specific log file configuration, or they want to download a certificate from their S3 bucket, and configure the containers with the host volume mapping and use something with that. So we provided a custom script. Anything uh, we did in abstract in our main stack, People fill this with this gap and uh, you know they do all kinds of stuff, um, whatever the custom things needed for the application. So this is how a yes, three stage stack creation happens. We separated the three stages because the compute clusters typically each time AMI changes, we have to it can be one month or two months or as often as you want something changes your security groups changes, all that stuff. You can, if you want, you can recreate the cluster as many times as you want. So we create the compute cluster in one set of parameter files, create the compute cluster. Uh, It's a a different folder on the same S3 bucket, so it gets triggered according to which even gets kicked off. Then we create a load balancer with a default target group. In this case, this talks about application load balancer stack, and in this case, The load balancer used to outlive the compute cluster, so it can run for months or even years, you know, because the DNS name, people don't want to change it, all that stuff. Uh, So basically, we create a load balancer and uh, we attach the load balancer. Uh, We register these auto scaling groups uh, (coughs) along with the the third stage, in this case here. The third stage is services. This is a one-to-many. This, uh, you can, each time you run it, uh, you create a service or an update a service. So you run it as many times as you want as the number of your services. So this has things like what is your container image, what is how many, what is the number of tasks you want to run, and what is your deployment plan, minimum deployment 50 percentage, maximum 200, and all that stuff. All ECS service-related stuff gets abstracted into these parameter files, and once they do this, uh, the stacks... Uh, these services get, each service get its own target group, and the target group registers with this load balancer, with a context route, and you can uh, start getting load balanced. Typically, if you have your parameter files, first time it may take an hour for an application team to work with their security team and other administrative team to find their right subnet security groups. Once that homework is done, probably one or two hour maximum, the total time it takes if you have a docker image to run it takes about 5 to 7 minutes to run end to end and if you don't if you no longer want it you can destroy it in a few minutes so and you can do it as many times as you want so it's a you build you own so developers create this hundreds of times a week and destroy it as often as
0: they want All right. So, what we just saw was like as an application team. I used three micro functions and I created my stack that runs our microservices. Right. So, and we use Capital One private Amazon machine images, and our cloud engineering team releases updates to our armies periodically, and. As our security and regulatory requirements uh, mandate us, we are required to uh, rehydrate our EC2 machines with the latest armies. And when we have a stack that we have microservices running them, how do we update our uh, application stack with the latest armies without causing any disruption to our end users? That is this set of army update automation tool. How that works? So here is the example where I have an uh, application, right, and I have this ECS cluster. This is my application load balancer, and in this application, I have two services, Uh, uh, each service running two tasks. I mean, three tasks here, one, two, three. So there are two services, each service running three tasks, and I have uh, two EC2 instances, and as we can see, uh, this is old, I'm getting notified by my security team that I need to rehydrate my stack with the latest armies that has been published. Right? As an application team, I don't want to write infrastructure code to update my armies, but I don't want to cause any disruption to my end users who are using this uh, load balancer URL that are accessing my services. And I want to do this in less than a half hour, and I want to use the automation tools to get this uh, rehydration done. And here is how we do that. So, again, most of our automation tooling is event-driven via Lambda functions. And what, as an application uh, developer, I do, I prepare my properties file, and I drop it in a 3 bucket, saying, this is my uh, stack, this is my old army, and this is my new army, and update my stack. Right? So I uh, I drop that function, I, I drop the parameter file, it kicks off this Lambda function. This Lambda function is going to go and create a brand new ECS cluster, and it's going to create the same number of, in original stack I had two machines, it's going to create the same number of machines, but this time with the newer armies This is my first Lambda function. And I have my next Lambda function, which gets triggered, and this is going to go and replicate all my ECS services that is running in my old army-based cluster to my new army-based cluster. So what's happening here is when these two ECS services are created in this new ECS cluster, these services are also getting registered to the same load balancer, to the same at load balancer target groups. So at this point in time, what do we have is we have this application load balancer, and we have at this moment doubled the capacity of our services. One, one set of services running in the new army based ECS cluster, the other one is running on the older army based cluster, right? So now we have all of these things perfectly running. Then we have the next Lambda function that goes on Deletes my ECS services. It first gracefully stops the ECS services, meaning all the containers get stopped on the old machine and the draining happens so we don't break any in flight transactions. And once all the containers are drained in the old stack, you have the ECS services stopped and then it will delete the stack. It will remove, it will terminate the EC2 instances, it will terminate the launch configuration, auto scaling group, and the ECS cluster. And what do we have now? We have the new AMI stack uh, running the same ECS services, same number, but with this new AMI. right? So, in less than half an hour or so, uh, those three micro functions work together in rehydrating your application that was using your old army with your new army. So, that is how we do our rehydration of uh, our applications the, from the old armies to the new armies.
1: Next, we look at uh, blue-green deployment automation. What is blue-green deployment? Most of you are familiar. We'll quickly review. This is courtesy of Martin Fowler. So, we have a blue service running, and it was load balanced by this. And there is a brand new green service gets established, and you change the router. That's the basic. Basically, you establish the full capacity, and you change the router to go to the new service. So how do we accomplish this in this context? This is where we start. We have a blue service. This is a target group. In this case, application load balancer. We have two tasks running for this uh, use case across two EC2 instances, let's say. So this is our starting point. Now, we have a green task. So we launched a new service which is basically a newer version of the same service. It gets its own target group, own beta ELB, call it as green ELB or beta ELB, and the application developer does all kinds of testing. This is still running, no interruption to this, nothing happens here, and um, the application developer does a beta testing for whatever number of days. So far, so good. Now, I want to switch the traffic. How do we do? So we run a Lambda. All of these are triggered by Lambda functions the way we described before. So we detach this whole set of containers, the ECS service, from this target group. We detach the whole target group and attach it to the the same load balancer with a higher priority. If you're familiar with the ALB, uh, you will understand. If not, the priorities you can have several target groups attached to the same application load balancer, and depending on which has the lowest number, that is the highest priority, so it gets load balanced. In this case, we attach, let's say, the priority was 400, for example, for the blue service. We detect one number, say so 399, and we attach this target group to this ELB, and what happens is this target group, the ELB, basically starts routing to the listener routes to the green tasks, and the blue one slowly gets the in-flight transactions complete. But they are not drained. They no longer get the traffic anymore because we haven't stopped the containers yet. So at this time, all good. Now the developer has to make a call operations personnel. Okay, there may be Splunk reports or other things which tells you that something is going wrong or you are good. Let's say you're on a happy path. You want to go ahead and uh, move forward. So in this case, what we do is we delete the the blue service, which basically it's a two-stage. It stops, drains, and deletes it. Then also we delete the beta ALB also. You can hang on to that if you want to test more services because you don't have to create one beta ALB for each service. Say if you want to roll back. So we, just, we will do just the opposite. You submit the same lambda function with the diff- parameter file with the um, action called rollback. We will just do the opposite of the original state. Basically, we remove the priority, and um, the blue services start getting traffic to the original task, and uh, then we have a next action that will delete the green service, and you can start all over. Um, so that's how blue green deployment
0: happens. So, canary deployment, right? On, uh, not every application follows the same release strategy in a large enterprise, right? On some applications, you want to incrementally release the new version of the app uh, along with the older version and see how it is performing. And based on uh, the performance that you, how your new version is working alongside the old version, uh, you will take decisions. I have released 1% of my containers, the new version with the older version, and you would say everything is looking good. Let's increment it. Let's go forward by like 10%. And let's wait and see for like 30 minutes to see how it works. And you would make such decisions. And at some point, you would say, hey, I don't need like a, a uh, i don't want to go forward i want to roll back something is uh, not looking good so you can roll backwards from going to like from 10% to 20% you will go from 10% to 0% so your older version works so how do we support this type of uh, canary release uh, strategy with this uh, automation tooling right so like uh, we say like we have let's say like we say like like 10% you want to release here and then wait for some period of time and you release 30% and then you make it go all the way if everything is looking good and all along you have the same load balancer where your clients their clients don't see any change uh, of you releasing your new version of the app into the mix so as an application developer what do i have i have uh, like this is my deployment ID. I'm, I'm just calling, giving it an ID, saying this is my deployment ID for my uh, Canary release deployment. And this is my uh, cluster, ECS cluster. And I have my blue service V1, and I have my green service V2. And we have like a number of tasks. And this is the task definition. So this is where it gets interesting. I'm going to say here, I want to increment my Canary release by 20 percent. And I want to wait for like 15 minutes, and if everything is looking good, then I want to go forward every 15 minutes. And while I increased uh, like 15, uh, like 20 percent of my Canary, I want to roll back my original ones by 15 percent. So I don't want to run like 100 percent of blue and 100 percent of the newer version and 100 percent of the older version. And what is this action? This is deploy. Right? So I prepare this property file, drop it in the S3 bucket, and it's going to trigger my Lambda function, which does this uh, Canary deployment. And this is the set of tools, or uh, that we use in our Canary deployment. So let's uh, go over how these things work. So again, uh, as you can see, we use all AWS native services here. Uh, we use S3 bucket, we use Lambda function, we use uh, SQS, and we use SNS topics uh, for like sending notifications, and we use uh, this, is our ECS cluster. As like uh, we just reviewed, as an application owner, I am preparing my deployment file. I am telling what is my ECS cluster and what is my Uh, older service, and what is my canary service, and I drop into the bucket, and my action is deploy. This will trigger the Lambda function. And what does the Lambda function does? It goes to my ECS cluster, and at this point, I have two services. One is the older service, and the other one is the canary service. It's going to increase the number of containers in my canary service by 20%. And when all those canary service containers come up and they all get registered in the same load balancer, to the same target group, when those are all done, then uh, it also goes and d- decrement by 20% the older service. It does that and then it drops a message into the SQS queue saying, I did this much. I, incremented my newer version by 20 percent. I decremented my older by 20 percent and drops that message in the SQSQ, and it also puts that message in the S3 bucket where we maintain the state of this uh, deployment, right? And once it does that, then it also sends notification to the operations folks of what just happened. It incremented the Uh, canary version by 20%, that information also is published to this SNS topic. And we have another Lambda function, which is a polling function to this uh, uh, deployment queue. It goes there and looks, oh, I said like uh, that time was like every 15 minutes. It polls and gets that information here. And based on that, it goes and again updates the service. So every 15 minutes, as long as there is no interruption, Uh, it goes and starts incrementally rolling out 20% of your canary version. And once those get registered into the service target group, it goes and uh, decrements the older version by the same amount. It continues to do that until all of the uh, canary version is uh, 100% and the older version is uh, off of the uh, traffic here. Right? So, this is the happy path, what we just uh, uh, reviewed. And while this is happening, let's say, like, the first 20% is up, and you are watching your logs, and you are seeing uh, some errors showing up in the logs, and you want to stop this thing. So, what do we do? Go back, with the same properties file, and here, instead of deploy, you put a So what what do you want to do? Like you want to suspend and see what's going on. That is one action you can do. Or we are panicking. Oh nope, this doesn't work. Let's roll back everything. Then if that's the decision, you can say like a rollback. So we have two options here. I'm going to say like suspend. So I'm going to drop a machine, drop a action called suspend, drop it into the bucket. Then everything stops there. So you have the 20% running and that can, uh, you are getting the traffic, going through that, and you can watch logs and see. And then you figure, oh, this is nothing alarming. This is something that uh, was expected. I didn't have to stop it. Then go back to the same file here, and here you say like a resume. So drop it again, and it's going to pick it up from where it was left and roll forward with the same amount of increments until you get 100% of this one. And the other actions, besides what we just saw, the uh, like deploy, suspend, or like roll forward. In the sense, uh, you are doing like a, here, other than like 15 minutes. You say like you wait like for three hours for every 20 minutes or for every 20 percent. And you are the, you did this first 20 percent. Uh, you watched for three hours, everything looked great, and it does increment by another 20 percent after three hours, and everything looks great, and you are confident this is not going to go wrong, and you say like roll forward. Then it's not going to do like 60, 80, and 100 in the three hours interval. Every three hours, it's just going to go all the way to 100%. That is one action. So uh, that is roll forward. So depending upon what your action during the canary release, you have options like uh, deploy, suspend, resume, roll back, and roll forward. All of that uses this uh, tooling, automation tooling to make your uh, canary deploys work well. So, and uh, l- lastly, some of the lessons uh, that we learned here, right? So, go ahead, Satya, cover the, uh, some of the important lessons we learned.
1: Thank you. Um, we haven't um, have slides, but a um, couple of things <laughs> uh, I want to cover is um, we have in implemented um, high availability in multi-region using Route 53, uh, standard configurations from... Uh, uh, AWS. We have similar tools. Jenkins, Jenkins are Lambda based. Uh, you say that deploy it in this region, deploy it in this region. Uh, this is my resiliency policy. Uh, your routing policy. You can say that 60/40 uh, latency based routing or whatnot. And what is your cloudwatch alarm for monitoring your health and all that stuff? And we have implemented that. And we have implemented auto scaling policies for both containers and underlying EC2 instances, depending on various policies, and also you saw that the blue-green deployment launches double the number of tasks. Uh, What if if you don't run out of capacity? The reservation alarms, uh, if you run out of 80% of your capacity, it will launch more, and once you eventually um, get rid of those instances, the green ones and the blue ones, once you destroy them, your capacity will be restored back to what your alarms are configured to. So ECS has significantly uh, simplified our container stack operations, uh, leveraging ECS, the native tools, along with ECS, uh, the integration is so powerful. And uh, with this uh, automation tooling, uh, we have deployed several production deployments in minutes. Um, we can say that for the, the, the development, development teams have to just focus on the Docker images, test them fine, and uh, not worry about the infrastructure stacks. One last point on that is we have been certified by AWS as a well-architected framework. We have, If you have an enterprise contract with support with uh, AWS, you can also do it for your company. Uh, AWS has reviewed our um, design, and um, we were offered, I, I think it's like something like 95% compatibility. There are a lot of security. You have to balance between cost, security, and high availability. You cannot have 100 in all of that. When you have high availability, you have redundancy that increases your cost, then when you, are, when you want to do security, you know, there are some things you have to do, so some of those may reduce your points. It doesn't mean that you are not well-architected, but it's a good indication of how your application is due. If you have an AWS technical account manager, you can work with him to get the um, AWS um, well-architected certification
0: yeah so uh, lastly right uh, so we were very ha- excited to see in uh, today's morning presentation where uh, they were they announced that the support for uh, container placement this is something uh, we dearly like to have and uh, other uh, feature that uh, we would love to have is the container level security groups as soon as we got the iam uh, at the task level the ecs task level the container level we took advantage of those features and uh, we are Uh, looking to have container-level security groups. Otherwise, we have to apply the uh, total sum of all security groups to all of the EC2 instances, and I cannot run um, services that I want to isolate uh, in a single cluster. I don't want to share the security constructs, right? So that is something we would love to see and uh, uh, balancing placements uh, with scale-in and scale-out. So this is always a tricky one, uh, how you scale-out and scale-in, and uh, you'll have to have the right configuration. Otherwise, you are saying, like, uh, CPU 80% scale-out, but uh, memory, if it is uh, going down by, like, 50% scale-in, and you will go between scale-out and uh, scale-in, like, uh, very awkwardly. And uh, uh, other things, like, uh, we like to see the... Rather than to have the step up or step down policies, like when you hit like 80% CPU, we say step up like two machines or add two machines, add three machines. We don't want to be in that step up, step down uh, business. Rather, we would like to say, I want to maintain a target rate of like 60% CPU. You, Amazon, behind the scenes, uh, you take care of how many machines you want to add or how many machines you want to uh, scale down, but give us the target rate. Uh, that we want to uh, specify, and the, not the number of step up or step down instances. So, so those are some of the things that we would like to uh, see as the uh, ECS uh, product grows. And um, we 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 are very thankful for our partnership with uh, Amazon uh, ECS product team and. Uh, the IAM uh, for, like, feature and other features, we had a preview on and and the application load balancer. We had a preview, and Satya and I published the engineering blog in Amazon Easiest website talking about all the details and uh, different configurations and the different features of that one. So please uh, check that one out uh, when you get a chance. So that's about it for uh, today's presentation, and uh, thank you for your time.